Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Gregory Brown, author of the debut novel, The Lowering Days. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel, The Lowering Days yet, how would you describe it? Yeah. So when I talk about The Lowering Days, I tend to describe it as a love letter to a place. That's what it has always seemed to me as I was writing it. And that, that place is the Penobscot River Valley in Maine, where I grew up. So the novel it itself is focused on a fictional town in um, a true place, the Penobscot River Valley. And I've just had a deep connection to that area throughout my whole life. And it's a literary novel. It's a family novel. And at its heart, it's also an environmental novel in many ways. Um, to get into a little bit of what it's about, we've talked about where it's set and where it takes place. It follows two families in a small town on Penobscot Bay, the Ames family and the Creel family. And it's narrated by um, one of three children in the Ames family, David or Almy, who's the youngest kid. These families are interesting in that like the mothers are best friends and the fathers are rivals in ways. They're both Vietnam veterans. One was a deserter. One was a hero. Interestingly enough, the the one who is a hero, Lyman Creel, he's become like a pariah in the community. He's been rejected in ways. While while Arno, the Arno Ames, the father who was in the war and was a deserter, has been embraced and celebrated. So these two families are neighboring families. They have a deep tie. They have this deep conflict that goes back many years. And the mother of the narrator, Fallon Ames, she runs a small community newspaper called The Lowering Days. She's an activist. She really prides herself on focusing on issues that are cultural in the area and giving equal space to both European stories or settler stories or colonizer stories, however we want to talk about that, and also indigenous stories in the area and a big focus on environmental issues. So as, as the book goes along, there's a paper mill that's about to be reopened. It's been a long provider of jobs in the valley. And on the eve of its potential reopening, a Penobscot teenager burns it down as a way to protect the land from further harm. The idea being that like this has been poisoning her culture, her people, the Penobscot um, tribe or nation has been suffering huge environmental losses and health issues because of this mill, and it needs to stop. So she decides to act. Fallon gets involved in the story when Molly, the Penobscot teenager who burns the mill down, sends a letter to the paper explaining why she did what she did. And that event sets off this huge debate in this community about like, what's, what is this action? Is this action environmental terrorism or is this environmental justice? What is the original sin, so to speak here? Is it the mill itself and how it's degraded and used the land and forced people to become cogs that are also harming the environment? Or is the act of burning it down, which is effectively arson, right? Is that a bigger wrong? So that question pervades the book and it, it sets these two families at odds with each other at a deeper level. And I don't want to go into too much of what happens, but that's the kind of the catalyst bringing these people together and in the conflict in the area. Sure. Do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write The Lowering Days? Yeah, I do. It, that's always a good question and a, a tricky question for me sometimes. Most most all of my work starts with place or with character. And with the lowering days, like I, I knew that I wanted to write about Maine and like the Maine I knew growing up and parts of Maine that I haven't seen represented perhaps as fully at times in, in fiction, capturing the complexities of cultural representation in Maine and the socioeconomic dynamics in Maine. But what really started me on the path of the book was this these three brothers. For years I had these three brothers who were tugging at my imagination. 
And I would write some scenes and write some notes and try to figure out the story or the way into the story. And it took me a long time to figure out that it was a story about three brothers coming to understand that the land in which they grew up has a much deeper meaning to, to the people of their place. So these three brothers were the, the thrust into the story. And as the book went along, they faded into the background. And Almi, the narrator, the youngest of the brothers, but has, a, has a big role in his twin or excuse me, his um, next youngest brother, Link, has a large role. But the, the third brother, Simon, who I thought might be the focus of the book, fell back into the background. So it's a book that took me a long time to write, and it shifted focuses over the, that time period in ways I didn't expect. But just writing about brothers and their relationship to the land that they were raised in was the, the impetus. You've written short stories, and you attended the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and now your debut novel is being published when did you know that you wanted to pursue writing fiction? Yeah, um, I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to pursue fiction writing. I would say when I was a middle schooler or a teenager or high schooler, and it was a slower path to, to get there. For me, I grew up in a pretty working class family here in the mid coast of Maine. And I didn't know many artists. I didn't know any people. I didn't know anybody who was a writer. I had a grandmother who was a storyteller and a grandmother who was a big reader. But I didn't know anybody who, who wrote. And I didn't think of that as something that, that people could do in ways. It wasn't like an accessible path right off the bat for me. So I, I was in high school and I was I was a big reader when I was a kid. And like a lot of us, like I was just having a, I had a really hard time in adolescence. And I found myself turning to writing. And what I noticed is that when I started writing fiction, two things happened that were interesting. One, I felt better. Wow, I mean, that's fantastic. I feel less depressed. I feel less like an angsty teenager. But I found that I could start creating worlds where I could enter them and feel more comfortable in them and feel more alive in them and feel empowered in them. And I could also start bringing things to life that I saw in the world that maybe I wasn't seeing represented in other places. I was in at that point. Then it became a question of... How does, how does one you know become a fiction writer or how does one own that or make a livelihood or a life out of it? And I knew I wanted to write. I went to a really small college in Maine that's open admissions. It accepts everybody. Oddly enough, it was like the only place I could get in. I've been a terrible student. But what this college had was a burgeoning writing program. I had a communications program that was really new. And there was a, a person, a professor who had come up from New York who had a long history in journalism and he wanted to get kids writing in like Midcoast, Maine. I took up some writing courses and I loved it. And what I found was if I thought of myself as a journalist or I pursued a career in journalism, that was more pragmatic or more practical. So uh, here's a way I can go and have like a nine to five job and be making a living like I had seen in the community around me. And I could also be writing. From that point, I graduated college and I took an internship at a small town paper in Waterville, Maine, that I was lucky enough to, to get accepted to the Columbia Journalism School. I went down there and I was working towards being a journalist. And at the same time, I was you know I'm on this professional track to be a journalist and I'm writing fiction and making up stories all the time and variously writing fiction at night and having these moments where I'm like, oh no, I'm heading the wrong direction with my life. I don't really want to be a journalist. I want to be a fiction writer. I had started sending out stories um, to lit journals by that point. This is like 2006 and a smaller journal picked up a story that I sent. And at this time I, I didn't know any writers. The internet was wonderful. And then it gave me the ability to research lit journals and how to submit. The smaller journal picked the story up and then it, it felt real to me. And I, I made the decision 
after graduating from journalism school and working for a couple of years as a freelance fact checker and researcher that I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to find a way to write creatively. And I also thought I started to think about teaching and how I had great teachers, but I wish that I had more teachers that had provided more access to fiction writing as a path when I was a middle schooler or a teenager or a high school student. So I was curious about teaching and, and how that might fit for me. So wanting to write and wanting to potentially teach, I decided to apply to MFA programs, was fortunate enough to be accepted into Iowa. And that gave me two years where I was able to just go and focus on the craft of fiction writing and all of the doubts I had about, is this a thing that's worthwhile to be doing with one's life? Should I be focusing on making money or doing this or doing some type of job with more evident productivity. The various questions I think that the dog kids that don't have an artistic pedigree, so to speak, in their families, those went away. I just had the space to write and it was just, it was empowering. And so what was your experience like at the Iowa's writer, Iowa Writers Workshop? It was wonderful and, and terrifying all at once. I, wonderful in that I had all this time to write and I had all this support making it seem possible. And I had the opportunity to teach for the first time. I had done some volunteer tutoring and literacy work and ESL work at places I lived before. So I had all these opportunities and I met like the, some of the best friends and best readers of my life and fantastic professors and mentors and wonderful connection into, into the world of publishing all came through Iowa. But it was intimidating. It's a place with this rich, long history of fiction writing and poetry in our country. And it's a place that can be competitive. And it's a place where you can easily feel like an imposter at times. So you have to find your group. And I was fortunate enough to find my group out there. And it, it was ultimately a really rich and rewarding experience. But there were definitely times where you're in the, at the Iowa Writers Workshop and you go into the reading room and the reading room, they have all of the shelves with every single book ever written by an Iowa alum and you're just bowled over by that lineage. <laughs> <It's>, Whoa. <laughs> wow. Okay. So. And now your novel will be there. Yeah. Now my novel will be there, which is incredibly exciting. That's great to think about. Yeah. So you mentioned working on this novel and how it changed and how one of the characters that you thought would be prominent ended up not being as prominent. What was the writing process like for you? Did you ever do any outlining as, or was it more of an organic approach and multiple drafts? Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I tend... It tends to be an organic approach. My joke sometimes that I, I feel like I'm a really inefficient writer. I'm casting around for a long time trying to figure out the right approach into the subject matter or the right direction for a story. But so it, it's fairly organic. I, in this particular book, I found that I had a really strong idea of the characters early. And then I had a strong idea of the place. And for me, I often write when I'm walking, honestly, when I'm walking, when I'm hiking, I, I tend to head outside to try to figure things out. So I'll, I'll be walking with a particular character. Let's say if I'm, I'm working on this 
section narrated by this chapter and I, this character. And I think that this character has something to teach me about the story. I'll just be kind of out on a hike thinking, thinking to myself and kicking ideas back and forth with this imaginary person. And as strange as that might sound, like stuff starts to emerge that way. So I had the characters, I had the place. I was really, I really struggled with the story and, uh, or the plot. And it just took a long time for it to reveal itself. And as far as the way that I tend to get it down on the page, like I, I go slow. I try to take a lot of notes. I try to really understand like the scene I'm working on or the character I'm working on better developing or better seeing through their eyes in this moment. If I start to really notice how they notice the world, I feel like I'm on to it. So then once I have an idea or a firmer idea of what I'm trying to accomplish on the page or what my character is seeing or experiencing, then I start to, to write scenes out. So it's, it's this process for me of going very slowly at first and being very open to what I'm preoccupied by and what my character's preoccupations are. And then once like it starts to come to life, I start to feel like I have something I go over very quickly. I try to get scenes down fast and I try to get chapters down fairly fast and I go back and do a ton of revising. Just like for an example, like I, there's this fine line between like revising and just, I think Toni Morrison that said there's this line between revising and just tinkering when you're just moving things around and not making anything better. And I certainly feel that struggle at times. And my first story that I ever published, I, I look back now and despite having a fairly organic approach, I tend to be pretty organized in drafts and labeling and, and record keeping. This first story that I published, which was called Loyalty, and I published it in, in Epic Magazine, there are 29 drafts of it. So that's to me that feels like a significant amount of revising <laughs> that, that does sound like it <laughs> 29 and um, 29 drafts and it collected 20 rejection letters before it was accepted so <laughs> it's just how it goes with writing exactly so what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels yeah it's such, always such a great question i i think the biggest thing is to to pay it to, to honor like your own preoccupations. Like we usually start writing about something we're pulled towards, and there's a reason we're writing about that. And sometimes the world will make us question our subject matter. Why aren't we writing about this, or why aren't we writing about that? Or we start to doubt ourselves. But the the things that we're drawn to, we're drawn to for a reason. And I think you have to trust your instincts around like what you're pursuing for a story. Also go really slow. Your writing is only going to be as deep, moving, and meaningful as your understanding of the characters in that piece of writing is. So take your time to really see the world through the eyes that you're trying to capture on the page. I've never liked the advice of what you think you should write, what you're moved by, or what moves you to write. Because for whatever reason, that's the story that's calling you to it in that moment. That's good advice. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed or that you would recommend? Yeah, a, f a few that I've recently read that I would highly recommend. On the nonfiction front, the novel Milltown, which came out last fall, it's by Carrie Arsenal. I absolutely love this book. She grew up in the Androscoggin River Valley, Western Maine. And the book is, it's a blend of, I'm not sure if you're familiar, are you familiar with the book? I've not heard of that yet. It's a blend of memoir, of environmental reporting, and of an, a, call, a call for environmental action. But it, it traces the history of basically the, the, this area, this valley. Her father worked at 
the paper mill there for his entire life. And at, at one point in time, I think it was Dateline had dubbed this part of Maine as Cancer Valley. So it, it looks into the awful environmental toll and personal health toll that manufacturing, particularly paper manufacturing, has taken on this country through the eyes of this mill and this place in Maine. So it's a nonfiction book that I've just absolutely loved. And on the fiction front, I recently finished a a collection of short stories called Aerialists by a writer named Mark Mayer. And they're just fantastic stories. They're realist stories, but they have an absurdist lens to them. And they, they really capture like the loneliness of what it means to live in contemporary America, where you're trying to connect with people, but you're facing walls or you're facing like miscommunications, misconnections left and right. And it, it's a wonderful book. And I've gone back to some some of my favorites and some of the books that have inspired me to write, particularly the works of Louise Toni Morrison, Andre Debuse, returning to some favorites over the last few months. That sounds great. So work online if they want to learn more about you and your novel. Yeah, the easiest place is, is my website. That's gregory-brown.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. But the website will take you to all of those channels. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Gregory Brown, author of the debut novel, The Lowering Days. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Greg, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Lowering Days by Gregory Brown, performed by Nicole Altivator and David Aaron Baker, available from Harper Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. A week after the fire, a letter arrived in the mail at the lowering days. It was written on a brown paper bag instead of dioxin-bleached white paper. Dear readers, this paper is run by a white lady, but she's a white lady who cares. Her heart is in the right place. She gives us the space to be seen and heard. Will you, Winnie? This paper has also shown it cares about truth for everyone, whether human, white, Penobscot, mountain, tree, river, or air. So this paper gets the truth. Ganudaman, Wazel Mu Nazibum, Wazel Moltowuk, Ach Nodonabamuk, Bonawapskaria, Giz, Abajile, Agalabamu, Wegaluke, Winila, Benawapskaria, Ada Abajilakwe Nij Nawinchin To Dinana Ada Abajilakwe Nij Nalidaha Sol Dinana Nij Nichkin Ki Nij Waninchke Sol Dina Awenuchuk Nagabanawapskiuyuk The fire I started was meant for the mill only, not to hurt anyone else. I acted alone. To the mill? This is for the river who you harmed, my people who you poisoned, and all the men and women who had to make themselves into machines to keep you alive. I think it's good you're gone. Some things have to stay dead so others can come back to life. To my people, Nudeldaman, Achi, Balidahadaman, the river is us. We are the river. I couldn't listen to your crying anymore. My mother hid the letter in her coat, closed the office, and came home that afternoon. With shaking hands, she set the letter on our kitchen table, where it sat like a bomb. None of us dared touch it. 
I suppose she showed us the letter because she had to show it to someone. I was amazed it had come to the lowering days, not the big daily paper in Bangor. But it made sense as well. Over the years, my mother had become something of an ally to the Penobscot Nation, the river, and the land. Furthermore, she was tenacious, arguably reckless even, with the truth, believing that it deserved to be heard at all costs. She'd often run articles and editorials by tribal leaders and sought to give white issues and indigenous issues equal space. So it had been arson in the name of a river under centuries of assault. The weight of that truth began to settle over our household as we all stood in the dimming April light. Eyeing the letter and listening for cars we knew were not out there, and footsteps we irrationally feared might be coming. That night, my father locked our door for the first time I could remember. And what of the arsonist? If she was indeed a teenager, she was a precocious one and chillingly direct. Yet she seemed unsure as well. I think it's good you're gone. I wanted to know how she had done it. Had the decision been quick and rash? Or had she agonized over the choice? What I was sure of was that the mill was not an innocent victim. The Penobscot Nation had long claimed that the Narrows Mill knowingly discharged toxic chemicals and wastewater products from the pulp and papermaking process into the river, poisoning its fish and plants. They had data to back their claims. My mother wrote about it all, of course from all angles, and the environmental debate had filled my childhood. Now, on the eve of its potential reopening, the mill had been burned flat. The girl had directly addressed the paper mill, animating it in the process. From then on, it would forever be a living, breathing entity in everyone's eyes. Of course, it had always been alive, filled with the lives of those who lived and worked within it a moving, evolving system, not unlike a body. An ecosystem, Wren had pointed out to me when we looked at Reggie's photos a week earlier. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.